And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, March 4th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law on this episode. We will talk about the potential impact on the owner-imposed lockout on you know people around the game who aren't even included in the group of players who are impacted. Uh, we're going to talk about what to look for if you're new to watching college baseball. Plenty of people out there might be looking to scratch the baseball itch, and at least we have that opportunity actually like available. You could stream it and, and watch it. And there's actually a lot of games, so I figured it'd be a good time to talk about what makes college baseball unique, what you should be looking for. And then, of course, we'll dig into some opportunities eventually for top 100 prospects, some guys that made Keith's list who should make an impact in 2022, you know, assuming that there is a season eventually, Keith. How optimistic are you about that? A season, still pretty optimistic. A season starting in a matter of weeks rather than months, not really optimistic at all. I see a lot of people throwing June out there as their sort of fingers crossed, let's hope we have a season beginning around then sort of range. I know it's just one of those things that you know what the solution is likely to be, but you don't know why the road will meander for as long as it's going to meander before we get there. Yeah, June sounds made up. Not in either direction. I'm not saying it's going to be earlier or later or anything else. It's just made up. Nobody knows. Nobody has any idea. The most tangible thing I'd ever heard on this was in the fall, early winter, that Major League Baseball was telling teams, team executives, we think this will all get wrapped up at some point in mid to late February and we'll have a regular spring training. Assuming that the people who told me that were being truthful that Major League Baseball told them that, they were wrong. And at this point, I don't think anybody has any idea when this is going to get resolved. I think we're just making it up. It could be resolved in a day or two. It could drag on well into summer. And uh, honestly, if anyone's asking me, people have asked me before, when do you think this is going to get started? The answer is, I have no idea. I actually just have no idea. It's the most honest answer I can give you. One of the things that actually stood out to me in, in the Ken Rosendahl piece that came out on Wednesday, obviously April attendance is low. People have talked and written about that a lot. He pointed out that the local TV contracts generally don't require clubs to issue rebates to their networks until about 25 games are missed. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, I thought, there's so few ways for anyone or anything in this world to apply pressure to billionaires because billionaires have so much control what if we seize their yachts oh, wait wrong story yeah wrong story that's you know that seems to be effective maybe that's it right you have huge media companies that could actually exert some pressure for the resolution to be reached a little sooner 
that would give me a little bit of optimism. But it's it's a small amount of optimism, to be completely clear. And I think what's awful in in all of this is that you start thinking about people that work in baseball at all different levels. I mean, we could see furloughs if this goes on long enough, whether you sell tickets or whether you're part of baseball operations. Perhaps we have fears of that. Or if you're part of the game day support staff, it takes a lot of people to safely have professional baseball games happening at the major league level. So I worry for all of those people, aside from people in media and everybody else connected to the game, that we are all going to feel it a lot more than the people holding the whole situation hostage at the top. It's always the case. That's how we get here. Yeah. And you know, owners don't care, right? Like at all, like even the tiniest bit about pretty clearly about anybody but themselves. Now, if some owner wants to come out and say, hey, I'm going to guarantee, um, you know, the salaries or the you know wages really of all of my stadium workers for all missed games, which would be an absolute drop in the bucket. Uh, somebody wants to do that. I, I, I'd be impressed and I will change my tune. But as of right now, I see 30 owners who care about nothing else but their own profitability and capital appreciation. And that is all. Um, this is entirely on them. I will say this until this is over. The owners locked out the players. The owners are the ones who took over a month to present an actual proposal to the players. And the owners are the ones who, according to Ross Stripling, those were some pretty devastating comments, tried to slip in additional language at the last possible second, hoping that the players would, I guess, hoping the players were morons or maybe forgetting that the players actually have attorneys whose job it is to look for this stuff who would, uh, um, you know, thinking that the players wouldn't do their due diligence and might accept a proposal that had language that was not so uh, fair or reasonable to the players or simply that hadn't been properly negotiated ahead of time. So, look, if the owners were negotiating in better faith, if I thought that the owners were negotiating from a more reasonable position in the first place, I would be more um, open about it and probably more balanced. But right now, all of the blame here lies in the owners. And yeah, a lot of everyday people are going to lose money, lose their incomes, maybe lose their jobs because the owners are trying to squeeze a little extra profit out of an insanely profitable business. With no signs of that business becoming less profitable anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, the long-term outlook, if, if if anyone who could afford a major league team would want to buy one right now, if it were available, the demand, even though the number of people who can afford one, it's a relatively small group of people, yeah. there would be a line there to purchase teams if teams became available yes i mean that's the thing if any of these owners is that miserable right put them up for sale right so i mean i got a couple hundred dollars lying around i'll gladly take the team off your hand you're losing that much money right then you should want to sell you should want to sell for nothing i will just assume your debts i will assume the debts of the major league team that you are selling to me <laughs> and i will also take the chance of uh oncoming uh, ongoing losses losses paper losses going forward. Um, I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm absolutely not buying it. Yeah. So the state of things, well, bleak for now, hopefully better the next time you and I record an episode. But until then, I figured, hey, college baseball is happening. And in your world, that's something that's always uh, drawing a lot of attention. But for a lot of us, it kind of just flies under the radar, right? Maybe we tune in during the College World Series or we stumble into a game when nothing else is really going on. 
if you're new to watching college baseball, what should we be looking for? I might be the worst person to ask because, well, first of all, I don't really particularly like college baseball um, as a sport because I don't think it's well managed. I don't think there's anything at all wrong with the players. There are some great players typically, although it's a terrible draft year in college baseball right now, but that's cyclical. That is not always going to be true. But, you know, for one thing, I think too many coaches are basically just managing to win and I think misuse their players quite a bit. I think we also see a lot of coaches, and certainly not universal, but we do see a lot of coaches uh, who manage in a way that is far worse for developing players in the long term. Like, for example, the excessive amount of sacrifice bunting that goes on in college baseball. One, it's just stupid. We actually know in general that's pretty bad for um, for uh, run scoring purposes. It's also absolutely not uh, developing players at that point. You're not teaching players to hit. So, yeah, I don't – And oh, and by the way, they use metal bats. So, sorry, I'm probably a lousy advocate for college baseball. I watch it because it's my job. Um, would I prefer to watch college baseball or go watch any level of professional baseball, even a complex league game? I would choose the latter because it's wood bats and because you're there truly to see players get better. Players at that age should be encouraged primarily to get better. And winning the game is interesting and worth something, but also secondary to the major goal of developing players. And yeah, that may make me an exception, but. I, I don't share – there are many people out there who love college baseball for itself. I do not look at college baseball the way that some people look at college basketball or college football as a different sport compared to their – or a, a you know viable alternative to their professional counterparts. To me, college baseball is just part of the developmental chain. And in many cases, it, it is inferior to the professional alternatives for players of those ages. Yeah, I've always found it challenging to evaluate a college hitter with – any sort of confidence because the bat is so different. I guess it's a cost related decision to continue using metal bats, right? You're not going to break them as often. So you're not going to go through as many of them. And they get sponsorships. I mean, that's the thing. It's the bat companies who are pushing this stuff. To me, there's no question. Kind of silly. Yeah. Because if college baseball is going to be used as part of the development machine that eventually gets players to become professionals, it needs to be more like the professional game from a pitching perspective. Do we see location strategies and things that are more similar to what we see on the professional side? Or is there still a pretty big gap there as well? I know usage is something you have written and tweeted about for a long time being horrendous in college. Pitchers are overused. But are are we seeing that aspect of college baseball make any progress? No, I don't think so. I think we're, I think it's misused. I think players are, you know, so again, it comes back to are players, um, encouraged to develop? Are they encouraged to use their better quality pitches? Um, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I think that the, uh, you know, if a pitcher has a particularly good, uh, slider, right? He's just going to, the coach is going to call that incessantly and not work on him developing other pitches, not work on being more of a complete pitcher. Also, I think the fact that there are metal bats discourages pitchers, even if they have some of their own, um, uh, say very few of them have say in pitch calling, but the few who do, right? They're not going to want to pitch inside as much because you can't break a bat or saw a guy off, so to speak, um, with a metal bat that you wait you can with a wood bat. So it, it is a different sport, but I don't think it's a be- different sport in better ways. And I understand there are college baseball partisans who would wildly disagree with this. Um, but it is something I watch a lot of college baseball and I'm just frequently reminded 
this is not similar enough to the professional game. I like the professional game. Thinking about the wood bats again for a moment, too. I mean, college summer leagues tend to be all wood bat leagues, Cape Cod League, Northwoods (laughs) League. Do you prefer that as at least as something that's a a big step in the right direction on top of the fact that it's a showcase league and you're, you're putting more talent maybe on the field at any given time? The Cape is tremendous. I haven't gone in years, and that's been because pandemic, and it's been because, um, obviously, we've had a ton of, uh, you know, we've had pandemic, we have had cancellations, we have a lot of players not going, these leagues, their schedules have been put out late, and just my own travel, too, has been limited. It's, you know, when the leagues were playing, sometimes I wasn't traveling as much, but I would love to get back there. I think the Cape is great. I think it's the best developmental summer league. There are others that are also good. The NECBL is good. The Northwoods League is good. I used to go see Team USA, the collegiate national team, um, every summer and uh, had been doing that a little bit less because, honestly, the selection process hasn't been as good recently. But I do um, absolutely think that um, those are better. It looks a lot more like the professional game. And players are used somewhat differently. And there is kind of an understanding. It's, yeah, we're trying to win, but we don't want to get anybody hurt here. And it's a little eye towards, a little bit more of an eye towards development or at least development in the sense of just building guys up and keeping them healthy than what you see in the in the spring. And, and again, this makes you sound like a curmudgeon. It's not like that. I like what I do, certainly. But if you're saying to me, hey, here's two tickets. You can go watch an SEC game, which is the best quality of play in college baseball, or go watch a low A game. I, I'm choosing the low A game. Many people would choose the SEC game instead. That's good to know, though, as we eventually get to the start of the minor league season, because that is an actual choice that people might be making as they seek out baseball. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, let's try to fast forward ahead. Let's talk about some more players from your top 100. That list came out, geez, feels like a month ago now. Time flies when you're having a lot of fun like we are. I thought there were a lot of interesting players on the bottom half of the list because they are guys that people aren't necessarily fawning over as future stars, but they look like impact players. Um, let's talk about the Phillies for a bit because Bryson Stott is a guy that I think could end up being a regular for them right away this year, in part because Didi Gregorius had a brutal season in 2021, and, and Stott just looked the part of a guy that could clearly step in and, and help fill that void. Uh, I'm curious to know, you know, based on what you've seen from him in the upper levels of the minors, where the long-term trajectory might be. Where Where is the ceiling for Bryson Stott? I think he's going to be an everyday, regular, you know, average everyday player. I think he's got a chance to be a little bit more than that. I'd say his ceiling is probably more like a 55 than a 60. He might be somebody who makes an all-star team versus somebody who makes a couple of all-star teams. 
and he'll probably have some years where he's just more like an average, you know, solid average everyday player. Makes the plays at short, hits for some power, gets on base a little bit. Nothing really outstanding. There's no seven tool anywhere on the scouting report there. I will be very curious to see what they do with the shortstop position because, you know, Didi was brutal. He's still under contract. He also had an elbow issue, which if I remember correctly, he blamed on the COVID vaccine, which is not how any of this works. Didi, just go like ask any scientist for like, well, I shouldn't say any, any reputable scientist, just 30 seconds maybe, or maybe just stop talking. Anyway, he had an elbow issue. I'm sure that affected his performance. He also wasn't good the year before. We don't really know what his true talent level is right now. We haven't seen the real Didi Gregorius in about three years. So if you're the Phillies, do you say, look, we already got this guy under contract. We might as well give him two months or so and see what he, the production is like. Let Bryson Stott play in AAA for a while. This is all assuming we have a season at some point, right? But let Stott go to AAA for a little bit and see what happens. I mean, that would be my strategy at this point, knowing that he's that Gregorius is already there. And that there's some chance, some reason to believe he will be better in 2022 than he was in either of the last two seasons. With Gregorius in the last two seasons, I think when you and I say last two seasons, we're saying the last two full seasons. We're saying 19 and 21. We're discounting 2020 as a 60-game season. If you didn't have that snapshot, it would be even easier to write off the possibility of a Didi Gregorius bounce back, but that gives you just a little bit of hope because he was actually good in the pandemic shortened season, popped 10 homers in 60 games had a 116 WRC plus that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it 19 that he wasn't good. Yeah, it was 19. It was stat. right coming was right 19. fresh off That's that injury. He was, he was down. And if you went from 19 to 21, you'd just say, yeah, it's over. But 20 yep. is weird as 20 was. And as hard as it is to really believe in anything good or bad that you saw that season, that would give you yeah. that last little glimmer of hope. You say, oh, he's 32. He's not, maybe he's not done yet. Two worst seasons since he became a regular were last season was his worst. 19 was his second worst offensively. So yeah, he's 32. I don't think he just lost it, right? I think very seldom do hitters that age just lose it overnight. A few do. Usually there's some kind of explanation somewhere. Um and in this case, we have an explanation, but it was an elbow injury that should be gone. Now, if he comes back, he's fully healthy this year, and he's bad for the first two months, the Phillies should just turn the page and call up stop. I don't think you wait on this guy. At some point, you do acknowledge the cost is sunk. I thought it was a good contract at the time. Didn't work out. Okay, sorry. Move on. Yeah, it's a profile, a hitter with a sub 20% K rate, which is what Didi Gregorius has been really his entire time in the big leagues. That profile doesn't seem to age quite as quickly at the plate as a guy that might strike mm-hmm. out. 25 or 28 percent of the time i think that guy with the swing and miss can fall off a little faster i think that's just an indication of maybe a bat slowing down or poor strike zone judgment maybe getting worse over time as a hitter starts to try and and find some answers this phillies team it's weird they're just so far at least based on the offseason they basically swapped out hector naris who went to houston in free agency for Corey canable so they still have some bullpen questions the core group of position players is the same. I, I guess you're hoping for Alec Bohm to put some pieces together and maybe Matt Veerling to help you out a little bit. And then you have to find a replacement for Andrew McCutcheon or bring Andrew McCutcheon back. And then then you've basically recreated the 2021 Phillies again. And given what the Mets are doing, given Atlanta's coming off a World Series win, given that the Marlins are at least getting better with that young pitching, that doesn't seem like a good place to spin the tires right now. 
Fearling is the one guy who I got him fourth on my Phillies list. He makes really hard contact. He's a pretty good athlete um, who should be an asset uh, in a corner. He's like he's actually looked kind of okay in center. I don't think he's really going to stay there. But um, his problem is he hits everything right to the ground, and that's a pretty you know doable but a significant change that they're going to have to make to his swing. The Phillies have not had success with that in recent years. They've turned over player development. I think a big part of that is because they've had so much trouble with um, helping guys with their swings. In fact, they've had a lot of guys go backwards, like Scott Kingery is probably the best example. Um, you know, to me, Veerling is one of the early test cases of what Preston Mattingly and his new group are going to do in player development. If they get Veerling to hit the ball in the air a bit more, um, he, he goes from being somebody with potential, but also whose short-term outlook is not very good, to an immediately valuable player who could probably step in and be an everyday guy for this team immediately and answer one of the questions that you just had. Um, so he's one of the players I'm kind of most watching you know if and when we get a proper spring training usually i spend my time just watching minor leaguers he's going to be in big league camp obviously and would really like to see what it looks like and where are his hands and what's his bad path looking like because if he just hits the ball a little i mean it doesn't even have to be a quantum shift although i have a feeling if they make a small change it's going to be making a large change too in terms of results be really interested to see where he goes and i think if he if he turns it around too you we could start talking about, hey, is this Philly system, they've had player development issues for like 10 years now. Could we finally talk about, start talking about Philly's player development as a place players go to get better? They could certainly use that sort of internal boost. Maybe there's something coming post-lockout to make the roster better. I do like their rotation. I think Wheeler Nola as a 1-2 is nice. Kyle Gibson, probably because expectations were unfairly high on him as a prospect, maybe is a little underrated as more of a back-end guy. Ranger Suarez would be the what's next question mark guy in the rotation? Because, I mean, obviously he's not going to do what he did in 2021 over a greater number of innings. That's not really, that's not what anyone's expecting. But do they have a third, maybe top 30, top 40 type starter on their hands based on what we saw over 106 innings at the big league level from him last year? He is really interesting because he, you know, he was a guy I would say was, He's a was a prospect and then sort of had had some, I forgot if I remember it was his debut or maybe it was the second time he came up. He was like particularly bad. No, it was his debut. It was that first year they brought him up. He had one, uh, yeah, like a, I think he was up for about a week in the pandemic season. He was atrocious. And then he comes back next last year and I think the stuff was all that markedly different, but he was, um, you know, and there was, some luck on balls in play. Like he was a, what do you have a one from looking at it here? A one, three, six ERA. Like that's not happening again, but his FIP was under three. It's not like this guy was not effective. He was absolutely effective. Um, and so he was, um, I, I always gravitate back towards, Hey, here's a guy I really thought was pretty good as a prospect. I saw, I remember seeing him. God, it's gotta be five, six years ago. Now I saw him in Reading. Maybe it was five years ago. It really feels like an extremely long time ago. And I remember first hearing about him when he was actually in low A. It's like, hey, this is a guy. He's probably somebody to watch. He's a lefty. He's got pretty good secondary stuff. He doesn't throw all that hard. Yeah, he averaged. Um, yeah, he's probably. Actually, it's pro- I probably misspoke. He was throwing a bit harder last year than he was in his brief time in the majors in the pandemic year. And he's not plus, but he was throwing a little bit harder. That's 
absolutely something. Really, really good changeup. He's always had a good changeup. Um, and his slider was more effective last year. So I, I actually think he could. I'd like to see what they what happens if they put him in the rotation full time. But I think if they said, actually, we'd like to have him as kind of this, right? What he did last year, hundred inning swing man. I could completely understand it. I think he's got the stuff. I think he's got the repertoire to be able to to do that. And he's now shown better command to be able to do it. I think he showed enough where you have to see what he can do over a larger number of innings. You can go back to the 100-inning swingman plan if it doesn't work out in a larger role. A lot of people have brought up that the strength of schedule that he saw once he moved back to the rotation may have helped him put up those ridiculous numbers. Even with that, though, I mean, we're talking about an ERA in the the low ones range. That's still really good. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. strange to see a guy sinker, four-seamer, changeup having that much success. You mentioned that slider. I think if he throws that more, I would have more confidence in his chances of repeating. I got a broader question, though. When I look at Ranger Suarez, I see a really low barrel rate, really good numbers just in terms of the quality of the contact he was allowing. And I'm curious to know how much you think that is a a skill that the pitcher can control, right? Because a lot of the stats we've looked at for a long time, they take defense out of the equation. We try to neutralize skills almost down to strikeouts and walks, basically. That was where things started 15 or so years ago now. Now that we have more information about batted ball types, are you looking at a guy like Suarez and saying, hey, this is actually a skill he has, even if it's not a 96, 97 mile an hour fastball, there's something about that fastball that does induce weak contact and that is a skill that can be relied upon or repeated. Yeah, I do think, so. just to sort of put a pin in the, the uh, last point on Suarez too, the secondary characteristics on his slider are not good. It's never – he's always been a fastball changeup guy, whether he's got sinker, sinker changeup, four-seamer changeup, both. He, you know, Statcast says he throws both. Um, he uh, he doesn't spin the ball at all. Like nothing he throws has much spin on it. His slider has the highest spin rate of any, any of his pitches and it's barely over 2,000 RPMs. And the break on the slider is low in both directions, um, below the average for major league sliders. And it was his least effective pitch last year. So – if we're saying, hey, we think that this pitch can get better, like, he needs a new pitch, right? It's not going to be this same slider for him. Um, as to your question of do I think that's a skill, I think the evidence we have says it is. I mean, this is – I would welcome someone who spent more time with the data. I know that it, it is um, – we do see consistency in, in – among hitters who, uh, sorry, among pitchers who limit hard contact, we see consistency among pitchers who give up too much hard contact as well year over year. And I certainly know that teams believe that it is a skill, that it is something that is repeatable. Um, they, they say so. And they also act like it is. If you look at how they are, um, if you look at how they're handling, um, how they value players, how they talk about their own players, how they move their own players. They, they certainly seem to believe that it, that it is a skill. Um, I think that's particularly true in the way that they court and chase and develop pitchers who have fastballs with good secondary characteristics, like really high spin rates, for example, um, because they believe that those don't just miss bats, but they, they really limit hard contact. Fastball ride, I think, would be one of those examples, right? Or that late run, that the kind of tailing characteristic you see uh, on some two-seamers. I think when you look at the the Suarez charts to where he throws the sinker, where he throws the four-seamer, where he throws the changeup, it's easy to see there's a clear location strategy that he can execute effectively, too. And 
sometimes that gets lost when we're talking about a guy that's not overpowering, doesn't have the the gross breaking mm-hmm. ball that gets him you know, gift by pitching ninja on a regular basis. It's a really good changeup, and he seems to do everything else well enough to maybe get by uh, with what he's done. Shifting away from Philly for a bit, I want to ask you about Jose Miranda. He made a leap in the twin system last year. First and foremost, do you believe in what we've seen from him as a hitter so far? I do. I've always liked to swing. Going back to when he was in the draft, what is that, five years ago now? Um, the performance had just never really quite caught up. He would make a lot of contact, but it wouldn't, you know, whether it wasn't. Some people would say he's not hitting the ball hard enough. Some people would say it's just a lot of bad luck, but it seemed like it was there. The quality, the swing was there and the general strike zone awareness seemed to be there. So yeah, I generally do believe it. I don't think like last year he was MVP type numbers. I don't think he's that, but I think he is more than good enough to be an everyday player at some position, which may (laughs) anticipate your second question. Yeah. Where does he play? Where does he fit? I mean, the twins have a a few possible moving parts to, to consider, and maybe they're not quite done, even if the remaining additions to their roster would probably be of the lower cost free agent variety, if there were any. Where would you play him based on on what you've seen? Or where would you prefer to play him, even if there are other spots where you might be occasionally willing to hide him? Well, he's not. I don't think he's a third baseman. Um, I certainly don't think he's a third baseman on a team that would like to try to go to the playoffs. Um, he, he may just have to go to the corner outfield. I mean, you know, and they also have somebody at third base. But do they, you know, they could also decide, right? They just want to, um, they could decide that they want to, uh, you know, we're willing to deal with bad defense for a short period of time to give him a trial. I mean, I don't really have an issue with that either. Um, I just think the odds are probably against him being a third baseman long-term, not seeing zero chance at all, but it, it's not very good right now. As of the end of last year, people were still saying, no, probably not. I look at this team and I, I see some bounce back potential. Uh, I think every time they've come up, so far this winter, every time I look at that starting pitcher depth chart, I just think, how? How are they going to get through? Mm-hmm. I've talked about the Kenta Maeda injury. I think they're going to miss him in a big, big way this year. Whether you like Joe Ryan or not, whether you like Bailey Ober or not, it's just it still seems like something is missing. And maybe they've got the, the pieces in place to make some kind of trade for pitching. There's plenty of, of controllable guys that might be available, but is there anyone else we haven't seen debut yet that you think is knocking on the door as as big league ready who could help answer the how do the twins get through this season from a starting pitching perspective? Or is it gonna have to be help from the outside? I think it has to be help from the outside, right? Even if I mean look at their best pitching prospect. You mentioned Ryan and Ober, they're back end starters. That's all they are. I know there are a lot of people who see Ryan's stat line and want to believe he's something more than he is, but you look at the, you just look at the pitches, you look at the quality of the stuff, it's pretty unlikely that he's going to be more than a back end starter. And then in the case of um, their better pitching prospects, Jordan Balazovic, probably not ready to debut this year. Um, certainly not the beginning of the year. And even if he was, it'd be a developmental year, not a year where he comes in and maybe tries to, um, you know, maybe a is able to come in and be a league average starter. I would probably bet against that for him. And I, I'm a big Balzovic fan. Jan Duran wasn't even healthy last year. Several of their other pitching prospects have been hurt. Um, so I, yeah, I just have a hard time um, 
seeing where they're going to get the pitch. It's not internal, certainly. It's definitely not happening internally. I keep wondering, though, with some of the, the excess they might have in that group of position players, if they could trade a young position player for the pitching help that they need. Shouldn't they? They? Made, they? That, they made that surprising trade with Toronto, ended up with Austin Martin unexpectedly. You've got Royce Lewis coming off the ACL, Miranda, who we just talked about. There's three guys right there, all pretty close to big league ready, and you don't necessarily have a spot to play all of them. So maybe part of the answer comes from there. I guess you could say Trevor Larnock could be part of that conversation, too. He's mm-hmm. an extra guy. Mitch Garver and Ryan Jeffers, they don't have enough playing time for both of those guys as constructed. You could see them building a deal of some kind that helps at least solve that problem. Let's talk about the Padres for a bit, Keith. I think Luis Campusano somehow feels like a forgotten prospect because it's been a little mm-hmm. bit like up and down with not a lot of playing time. and They're loaded behind the plate in San Diego. They're at least crowded behind the plate in San Diego. If you add Universal DH to this team a lot of that extra playing time might come from playing catchers more at different positions. Like Austin Nola might just play more between first base and DH as a result of that. Uh, I know we saw Jorge Alfaro playing in the outfield last year in Miami. He's there now. Victor Caratini can't leave because they still have you Darvish and no one else can catch you Darvish right now because he's got 27 <laughs> pitches. So you can look at all that and go, well, where does Campusano fit? I just keep wondering, how do you not play this guy? Because it seems like he might be easily the best catcher of that entire group. I'm a big Campusano fan. I still think he's really going to hit. I think he's going to be fine buying the plate. He had a brief time in the majors last year that was not, uh, I think, not really indicative of the player he's going to be. And yeah, they really don't have a clear starter, right? They have several backups. That's sort of where the situation they're in right now. For whatever reason, they said, well, we're not bringing Campusano up. We are, um, you know, then we're not going to, um, you know, we're just going to go, we're not going to go outside because we don't want to block him. They'd be basically running through a whole series of backups to start the year. And that's fine. Um, they could certainly do that. But I think Capisano is probably the guy who ends up with the bulk of starts for them over the course of this year. And I think he's really going to hit. I, I, I very, very strongly believe in his ability to hit. He's, he's always been a hard contact, line drive kind of guy. He'll come into some power. But it's going to be a, a very batting average and doubles driven offensive line. That's fine at a position where you kind of take any offense you can get. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances on the power, at least for the position, maybe being at least sort of average compared to expectations. He's a righty. Righties don't get impacted by Petco's dimensions nearly as much as lefties from a power perspective. Love that he's been young for the level everywhere he's played while while doing what he's done. It's, it's not even just like putting a lot of balls in play. It's that he's shown a pretty good eye at the plate, too. 8.3% walk rate at AAA last year. We'll absolutely take that. Um, it, it is easy to get caught up in AAA numbers from El Paso, among other yeah, places. Yeah, whole section of the yeah. PCL, right, is atrocious. Probably not a 30 home run catcher, but probably the kind of catcher that hits 270 or 280 in his best years with 15 mm-hmm. to 20 home run pop and maybe decent run production too, depending on what else happens in that lineup. But San Diego's weird. I, I saw the, the numbers flying around on Twitter earlier in the day. The Padres had a bigger payroll than the Yankees in 2021. Yeah. Did not. I saw that too. That's awesome. Is that true? I didn't look it up. I love the concept of that being a thing. I feel like that's just such an embarrassment for the Steinbrenners. Um, yes. Also, I would say uh, to the, I would say it is, for, if I'm the players union, right, this is a tremendous uh, argument that the CBT is a de facto salary cap. 
salary cap. The teams are treating it as a salary cap. If the Yankees are refusing to go above it, right? Because they didn't, right? Wasn't that the context of it? Yeah. There were only two teams. Was it the Dodgers and the Padres who paid the CBT last year? So if you're the union, the freaking Yankees won't exceed it. That's a salary cap. That is a salary cap, just with a different name. No, yeah, no floor. And I'm not, I'm not a salary cap guy. I think floors end up actually, it's going to really just distort spending. It's not really going to be that much better for um, the players in the long run. But right now, what they have is nothing. They just have a cap and nothing else. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. So I threw this out there on the 3 show earlier this week. I don't think the, comp- the actual competitive balance, not the competitive balance tax, I don't think the actual competitive balance in baseball would be any worse if teams could spend whatever they wanted without penalty. If you let Steve Cohen spend $400 million on the Mets payroll, I don't think it would actually ruin the competitive aspect of baseball. I don't think the Mets would be unstoppable and amazing because they spent more on players. If you are keeping the other structural things in place, right? Low, low salaries for the minimum long-term club control on young players, players peak at much younger ages than we used to think. I mean, that's a huge part of success. So Mm -hmm. if you're not letting players get the free agency until they're 27 or 28 anyway, it's not going to alter the competitive landscape that much because the super team concept that you see in other sports does not work nearly as well in baseball. Or am I wrong? Do you think it would cause a situation where you see the same four teams playing for league championships every single year? Yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that part. I think, especially if they expand the playoffs, you will be able to buy a playoff team. If you have 14 teams, if half the freaking league is getting in the playoffs, can you tell what a fan I am of that ridiculous <laughs> idea? Then I think you will be able to, teams will basically be able to buy a, a playoff team. That doesn't really do much for you in the postseason. 
And trust me, we will see somebody try to do that and fail to buy a playoff team yep. because baseball, right? Especially because pitching, right? You can go out and spend a ton of money on pitching and, and have it underperform, get hurt. I mean, look at, speaking of the Padres, they spent money and prospects to build a pitching staff and it didn't get them to the playoffs. Um, they paid the CBT and they did not get to the playoffs. And as much as people probably want to blame Jay Stingler for that, the number one reason that happened is that the pitching wasn't good. They got hurt and they were not effective. And so, I absolutely believe that you would, if you had a complete unfettered spending, somebody would, you know, several teams would try to buy their way into the playoffs. Most of them would get there, but that the league championship series would still be pretty diverse. And that's primarily because it's the nature of baseball in general and because of the nature of pitching in particular. I mean, what do you think? Like, I, I, I sort of make that sound definitive and I don't mean to. I would, you know. Please give me, you know, feel free to throw your opinions on some of these things, too. I think you describe the playoff field the way it already is, where you see the teams that spend a lot more, the bigger market teams. A lot of the same big market teams are there with two thirds or three quarters of the playoff spots. And the last couple spots are rounded out by whichever out of like Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, out of those teams, whichever ones are, are peaking with their groups of young players. I think you get a little bit of turnover there. Obviously, some turnover in the big markets, but the general shape parity in the league, I don't think it it's not there at all right now. It, it should be there based on the way baseball is structured. It's not. I know just about everybody hates expanded playoffs. It's inevitably where we're going. How do we at least make expanded playoffs more tolerable? Is there a solution within a bad idea that at least makes the bad idea less terrible? Of the expanded playoffs? Yeah, if you're stuck with expanded playoffs, how do you at least make the expanded playoffs the best version of what they could be? You're never going to get me, right? I'm dying on this hill. <laughs> it just waters down the regular season. At that point, why is the regular season what it is? Why is it so long? Why do we treat it like it's so important? Is it basically just about seeding? Isn't that what the NBA regular season pretty much is? Yeah, I mean, it's the NHL's like that too. seeding in the yeah. playoffs. Oh, the NHL's the worst. I will never stop talking about... When I was a kid and the NHL had only 21 teams and 16 of them made the playoffs. And I was like, I was only like eight. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was stupid. And also I felt really bad for the five teams that didn't make it. Like, that's so sad, right? They must feel terrible about themselves. But now, God, now they'd probably get in too. I just, <laughs> and God, it used to be true in some of these college conferences, right? It'd be a nine-team conference and eight teams would make the postseason tournament, the conference tournament. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why are we bothering? So I'm not. I'm not in. Right. The the expanded playoffs are a straight up money grab by the owners. Nothing else. That all that they are, and it actually it really it comes to some extent at the expense of the players. The players are the ones who have to physically do the work. Right. They are the ones who are asked to put in the labor. Basically, they are the labor. It's far more physically taxing. And so it is kind of absurd to the extent the extent to which um, the owners are willing to just say, no, 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 we don't really care. Like, oh, sorry. Was that inconvenient for you to continue? Like, yeah. It's just kind of, look, that's just kind of where the owners are. They just view the players as largely disposable. They still do not seem to understand the extent to which the players are the product. And frankly, I I think the, exp the expanded playoffs we know we're going to pay because apparently Major League Baseball already has a deal in place to broadcast them from my former employer. However, um, it doesn't mean people are actually going to watch. Like, I actually think 
that's not going to do much for ratings. This is me talking out of the air. And I'll be completely honest, it's just my own speculation. I think those are going to get worse ratings than people realize. They will not be as compelling as Major League Baseball or its broadcast partners might think. But in terms of making them more appealing, I, I don't have a way. There's all these convoluted, like, teams get first-round buys, and we already, we already have a little bit of that, right? And then teams get, um, you know, there's, oh, there's team a team gets a ghost win if it's the higher seat. You're just making it worse, right? Like, I'm going to make a, a, a an extremely Keith Law analogy, right? Most of my favorite board games, for listeners who don't know, I play a lot of board games. really, really like board games. Most of my favorite board games have very short rule books. They're really elegant. They lend themselves to a lot of strategy, but the rules are pretty simple. There are a few exceptions, but the majority of the games that I like are on the more clean, elegant side of things. To me, there's just a certain brilliance to it, and it keeps drawing me back to them. Baseball is trying to make a longer rule book for the regular season and the postseason, and I'm not here for it. It's frustrating for sure. I thought the most reasonable way you could go without putting in ghost wins, I don't mind ghost wins because at least that way you are you're putting together a structure where a team that did better in the regular season gets added protection the way it would work is the higher the the better team right is up 1-0 in a best of three series they have to win once to advance the team with the you know the lesser record would have to win twice to advance i it comes from the kbo i think is the, is the only other professional league that Does runs really? anything like that yeah i'd never heard of this before someone said it on twitter the other day and i was like well i saw it on twitter so it's probably a bad idea to start with I can rationalize that in a kind of a wild card system as a way of, of incentivizing you to do better in the regular season. But the the best you can do, I think, also to add extra weight to how the regular season plays out is, say, in the LDS round, which should be, you know, a best of seven, that if you're the top seed, if you're the top two seeds in any league, that you actually host the entire series. You don't go on the road in that series. Do we like that? Do we like that? Like, on, on completely honest question here. If you want the regular season to matter more, playing at home is a, an advantage, right? You get more calls at home. We know that. That's a big yeah. deal. So you, you know, your, your fans get to go to more games. You get right. to reap the benefits of, of playoff gate, which I think is actually one of the few times where the gate matters a lot for the owners. And there's a competitive benefit to it. So I could see that being part of the solution that said, hey, you know, we let all these teams in the playoffs, but because you won your division, and you were the second best team in the league, you don't have to go on the road for this round. And then eventually those teams do start going on the road, but at least to have an edge over the teams that barely got in, they're playing at home in the LDS round for the entire series. (sighs) (laughs) I'm saying this not as someone who wants this as the outcome, but is accepting where we have to go and just trying to make it less terrible when we get there. That's where I'm at. Isn't that what we all want in life? Where Accept where we're going and make it less terrible when we get there. I just don't want it to be awful when I get there. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> now, I don't, you know, this, they'd have to figure out, owners would have to talk amongst themselves to figure out revenue splits. But isn't a big part of the appeal of getting into the playoffs that you get to host at least one playoff game and get a big revenue boost from that? I mean, it's not, one game probably isn't enough to change a season's, well, they're all profitable, but to... Make much of a dent, maybe you know, make a huge difference, but it matters because at that point it's kind of free money for the owners. Um, and I'm not crying for the poor billionaires here, but at the same time, what's their what other incentive do they have? Yeah, they're going to get a little extra TV money. But if I'm an owner, I'm saying no, 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 no. Wait a minute. If we get to the playoffs, I need a home playoff game, or yeah. you're just giving me a cut of the revenue from I'm only playing road playoff games. Fine, I get a cut, and that's going to be a fun fight. Getting that to work out obviously is the 
hey, why won't this happen? Well, that could be among the reasons Mm -hmm. why it wouldn't happen. But from a competitive standpoint, at least giving those teams an advantage by giving them all home games in that series would help a little bit of the, we're playing 162 games. Why? Well, at least Mm -hmm. at the end of the road, there'd be some kind of carrot. Yeah. Such Um, a, a fun, cheery episode. Oh, my God. It's hard to imagine that a lockout would have such a negative impact on the psyche of people who actually care about baseball. Yeah, right? Who, who could have seen that coming? If you made it to the end of this episode, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, be sure to leave us a <laughs> nice rating and review. Yeah, collect your prize uh, over over there. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. But theathletic.com slash baseball show will get you a subscription for all the latest coverage on the lockout, but also non-lockout things and like other sports, too, which are fun. Draft. I should have a draft top 30 up next week. I'm supposed to go back to Atlanta. I went to Atlanta and I got two freaking at-bats out of Drew Jones. He did homer. That's not enough. So I'm going back. Hoping to see him and Termar Johnson. Just feels like an uphill battle every every single day right now. It's the freaking, it's the weather. Damn weather is conspiring against me. And I take this personally. <laughs> it's definitely conspiring against you. Uh, looking out the window, yeah, I don't have that problem here today. So I, I recommend- Shut it. Uh, Shut it. Send your ass back to Wisconsin. I'm not going back. Not in the winter. I'm going to be the youngest snowbird ever. If I have to go back, I will leave in the winter every year for the rest of my life. I'll be the first person to become a snowbird at 40 years old if I have to. That is going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. Theathletic.com slash baseball show gets you the $1 a month subscription offer that we have going right now. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.